0: Good morning. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here this morning as we come together as God's people to sing his praises and to be together and to learn from him. Please stand and join us as we begin by singing our praises to God. King who conquered the grave, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquers the grave, and worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who. Is real, and we will arise. We want to hear voices of angels above singing as one. to your heart, loving the world, hating the dark. We want to see dry bones living again, singing as one, How for you, the demons run and flee, at the mention of your name, King of majesty, there is no power in hell, oh See mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The moon and stars they wept, the morning sun was set, The Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, His blood poured out for us. The weight of every curse upon us. One final breath he gave And on that blackest day The Son of God was laid In darkness A battle in the grave The war on death was waged The power of hell forever broken The ground began to shake The storm Come Pray with me. Our holy God, you are forever glorified. We thank you and praise you for your unfailing love for each one of us and for your mighty power at work in each of our lives. We ask that you would speak into our hearts today. May we be open to receive your words of grace and truth, and may we be changed by you. It's in your most holy name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive but a portion of all that God has blessed us with.
1: faithful calls us to come to him offer our prayers we're going to do that now corporately and uh, sometimes uh, coming to the altar and kneeling as you pray uh, seems like the right uh, posture in which to offer your prayers if you'd like to do that then i invite you to come and to join me as we pray together Father, we want to thank you today for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness in this world, your faithfulness to us personally, your faithfulness to all of your creation. We come and we worship you today. Father, we come and ask for your grace to us because we know we so often fall short of your dreams and your desires, your plans for us. We ask for your forgiving grace in each of our lives. And we pray this confidently because you have assured us that when we ask for your forgiveness, you give it to us. Lord, we pray not only for ourselves, but also for those around us who are struggling with burdens of grief and pain, the difficulties that life brings to us this morning Father we we pray for all who are grieving we pray for all who have health concerns and we think particularly of Bruce and Matt we pray for Alton and Dick and for Isla and Bev we pray for Edna and for Linda for Micah and Bill for Crystal and Emily and for others who are on our minds today Father, we pray for our world. Just so much violence, war. So many people who live without the basic necessities of life. Food and water and shelter and security. Father, we pray that you will bring healing into this world. We pray that you will supply the needs of people who have so little. We pray, Father, for an end to the violence in our world. We pray that you will defeat the powers of the evil one who so often manifests himself in violence and war and greed and lust for power. We pray that through your spirit and through your church, there will be a different yearning in our world. A yearning for peace. A yearning to care for one another. yearning to love and to meet needs. And particularly for those who are most vulnerable. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face great persecution because of their faith. We think especially of the CRI team working in and near the city of Erbil, Lord, as as the ISIS group moves closer and threatens their well-being and their witness and their work, we pray for the power of your spirit to protect them and to allow them to continue their ministry among the needy. We pray, Father, for Chris and Corey Theed as they work in Haiti and ask that you would continue to bless them and to pour out your spirit in this nation of such great need. And for Dave Doherty, who is even now in Kenya working with the Gideons there, distributing Bibles, we pray that your word would bring fruit in the lives of people who have great needs. Father, we pray you'd pour out your spirit upon us during these special days here at the church and the college and the community and beyond. Lord, we pray for Dr. McMickle that you would pour out your spirit upon him, that you would anoint him with power as he preaches to us, and that you would anoint us as we hear and listen and receive your word. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Your grace, your mercy to us. May we ever live in the power of your Spirit and in the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
2: Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? This is the word of the Lord.
1: You see in your bulletin a number of inserts about uh, particularly opportunities for ministry. We'd love to have you involved in ministries of the church if you want to do that, college students, uh, academy students, uh, those of you who uh, maybe fit neither of those categories, but you're here. And we would love to have you be a part of ministry. You see in there, you can just, you can drop those in uh, to in the box in the back as you leave or Drop them in the post office at the college or you can get them to the church through the academy as well or call the church office, email us. And we'd love to have you be involved in ministry. See those. One of the inserts in your bulletin is about uh, Christian Life Emphasis Week, which begins today as a bio of our speaker, Dr. Marvin McMickle. And uh, we are pleased to have him here. We have services throughout the next few days. The rest of the gatherings will be up on campus at the college uh, in the evenings and uh, mornings for chapel times. And uh, we are excited about Dr. McMickle being here to share with us. And we're praying for open hearts as the Lord speaks to us through him. Before he comes to speak, I want to invite you to stand, take a moment, and greet one another. Who are all, we're here in worship today.
3: I begin, first of all, by saying good morning to all of you. Uh, It's delightful to be here to share in Christian Life Emphasis Week, both here in the church and for the balance of the days that I'll be around up on the college campus as well. My thanks to Pastor Odin for the invitation to come and to be a part of these proceedings Thanks as well to the praise team for leading us uh, in worship, in song, and word, and prayer. I'm thankful to each of you for the instruments that you play, for the songs that you sing, and for the spirit that you possess. It's good to see all of these students out. Uh, It reminds me that my own Christian formation my own growing understanding of God's claim and call upon my life happened in the context of a Christian college. Small enough where I could be nurtured, but focused enough in its ministry and its self-understanding that I could be challenged. And so I'm prayerful that for each of you your time at Houghton will not just be a time of intellectual formation, not just a time for physics, not just a time for biology, not just a time for English or math or history, but also a time when your heart, your soul, your values, your sense of relationship to one another can be challenged, deepened, strengthened, broadened as God works on your life over these years. Blessings to all of you. Let us pray. Faithful God, for the day that you have given For the word that has been read, and now for the opportunity to open that word to our heart's understanding. Grant that it might be rightly divided, grant also that it might be readily received, and grant finally. That whatever is its claim, its call, its challenge to us, each one of us in our own way might faithfully follow as we seek to be followers, disciples, friends of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The text that was read for us this morning from Genesis chapter 4 deals with a question, not an answer, a question, not an affirmation, a question not a proclamation of fact or truth. It deals with a question. Am I my brother's keeper? The text does not say, I am my brother's keeper. The text does not present to us someone stepping forward taking responsibility for the well-being of someone else. The text is not an attempt on the part of someone to say, my brother can surely count on me. Instead, it is a question. In fact, it is an evasive and avoiding question. How do I know where my brother is? Am I my brother's keeper? Now the story's well known to many of us. Adam and Eve give birth to two children. The firstborn, Cain. The second son, Abel. As time goes by, Abel becomes a shepherd, a keeper of a flock, Cain becomes a farmer, a tiller of the soil. On a certain occasion, each of them brings an offering to the Lord, a a faithful Old Testament offering, one-tenth of whatever it is they have grown, one-tenth of their flock, one-tenth of their produce from the ground. Abel brings a tenth of his herd Cain brings a tenth of his foodstuffs. And for reasons I don't presume to understand, God shows favor on the offering of Abel, the flock, but does not seem to be as pleased with the offering of Cain, the produce of the ground. Cain is distraught because, after all, I am the older brother. God ought to have more favor on me than he does on my younger sibling. Why would God prefer him over me? He becomes angry, he becomes resentful, he becomes jealous. He invites his brother out for a walk in the woods. And while they are walking together, Cain turns on his brother and kills him. Kills him because God loved the offering of his brother more than his. Killed him because he was resentful of an affirmation from God that he did not receive, did not question his brother. Rebuke his brother, chastise his brother, or even say to his brother, I know that it has nothing at all to do with you that God preferred your offering over mine. None of the above. He kills his brother. And then God came with a question. Cain, where is your brother? Now, this is rhetorical and ever since. God knew precisely where Abel was. God knew precisely what Cain had done. God was going to give Cain an opportunity to be accountable for his brother. To own up to what he had done to accept responsibility for his actions. Cain could have said, I was mad at you and took it out on him. He he could have said, why would you take his offering and not mine? He could have answered God very directly. I did what I did because I was angry with you. But he didn't. Instead in response to God's very direct question. Where is your brother? He offers a very evasive answer. How do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Abel was the shepherd. He's the one who was in charge of keeping. I don't know where he is. I don't know what happened to him. Now notice, he, he never says, I am my brother's keeper. He ducks and dodges and avoids and evades and says, am I my brother's keeper? I raise this question with you today because there is on our part a tendency turn Cain's question into our answer. And we say every now and then, or we have heard it said by others, I am my brother's keeper. I have responsibilities toward my brother, toward my sister, toward my neighbor, toward my friend. I am my brother's keeper. And I've come today to caution you about that. That keeping our brothers, keeping our sisters, keeping our parents, keeping our children, keeping our friends may be just a little beyond our reach. There's a Hebrew word that stands behind this word keeping, shawmar, shawmar which means keeping like a shepherd keeps the sheep from external dangers. Keeping so that there is always food, always water, always green pasture. Keeping almost like a hedge of protection is built around them. Remember in the book of Job when the devil says uh, to God, the reason I cannot get to Job... To bring him down is because you have placed a hedge around him, and I can't get past that hedge. You have encircled him with your care. Move the hedge, and I can move Job. Keepers do that. They hedge their loved ones in so hurt, harm, and danger cannot touch them. Who have you kept lately? kept from hurt, kept from harm. How much keeping can you and I really do? Now, maybe we would extend ourselves as far as we can if it really was our brother. I mean, really, our flesh and blood sit at the same table brother. I have one sibling, one older brother, four years older. His name is Paul. When I was a child, eight or nine or so years old, I was not very tall. I was short. And, well, I guess the best word is in polite company, rotund, slow of foot, an easy target for those who wanted somebody they could play with as a snowman in the Chicago winters. So I would periodically be stopped by those who thought it was just great fun to throw me down in the snow, roll me around, and sing as they did so, Marvin the Snowman. Great fun. Except on one occasion, things got a little out of hand. Somebody decided to extend it just beyond snowman making material became rather harsh toward me to the point that they hurt me to the point that someone went and got my brother who was not short, who was not rotund. And while I was his personal punching bag, he was not inclined to allow anybody else to extend the privilege. And when he heard what was happening to me, not just the fun of it. He, he didn't mind the snowman stuff. That's, that's, that's the risk of being a little brother. You, you just take it. But to hurt me was another matter. And my brother came from nowhere. I don't know how he got there. All I know is that one moment I was being assaulted and the next moment there he was. Driving these folks away, standing between me and them, telling them, I I better not ever hear you bothering my brother again. And nobody ever did. And I asked him, what on earth would possess you to take on all of these people and his answer was, as only a big brother could say it, I had to, fatso. <clears throat> because you are my brother. So because I was his brother, his real brother, his flesh and blood brother, his eat at the same table In fact, slept in the same bed, brother. He was willing to extend himself, even put himself in harm's way to take care of me. He was, on that day, doing what a brother could do. The question is, how far does our care extend beyond those who are our flesh and blood? For whom are we prepared to really keep and care? If they don't sit at the same table, if we don't sleep in the same bed, if we don't have the same parents, if we don't have everything in common, then what is our attitude? How far does our sense of being brother or sister really go? Does it go beyond our family? Keep Beyond our racial group, keep. Beyond our ethnic group, keep. Beyond our national group, keep. Or is it just, just our flesh and blood? Just those who look like us? Or pray like us? Or think like us? Or believe like us isn't isn't it really true that most of what is wrong in our world most of that for which the pastor has just prayed is because we pick and choose who are the brothers who are the sisters for whom we will care and who are the ones we could care less about i don't care if they're hungry i don't care if their tribe is attacked i don't care If their country is invaded, I don't care. They're not really a part of my circle of love and concern. I pick the brothers and sisters I want to care about. And I turn my back to and close my heart to all of the rest. And then we still say, I am my brother's keeper. Which brother? Which sister? Who are we hedging in? Who are we keeping something from? I wish I was my brother's keeper. There are two or three things I would have kept my brother from. He was a Vietnam era veteran, 26 months. In combat. Two terms, two tours, 13 months. Went to Hong Kong, spent some time there in R&R, 13 more months. In between those 13 month tours, he bought some electronic equipment, some speakers and turntables and mixers, all of the Current technology of the late 1960s. Not much today, but in 1968 it was pretty much state of the art. He had it shipped home, ready to be put up upon his return. He gave himself a welcome home party. I was there. It was a grand affair. His turntables and speakers and mixers were all being used. The next day, he went off to work. He found a job, and he was ready to get on with his life as a civilian. When he came back home, all of that electronic equipment, speakers and turntables and mixers was gone. Someone who had come to his welcome home party came back to his home the next day and stolen everything that he brought back. Bad enough, bad enough that my brother bears the wounds, 26 months in combat. No no physical wounds, no lost arm, no lost leg, no, no lost eye, just the psychological trauma Of 26 months in combat, bad enough. Worse, that after having defended his country for 26 months, in his first week at home, someone breaks into his house and takes what he treasured so highly. He never recovered. It was a combination. Being a veteran and being in Vietnam. An era when they did not say thank you. When there were no parades. When no one said, we're so glad for what you did. He did not get any of what these veterans are getting. He was called baby killer. And then this. And to this day, my brother has never recovered. If I could have kept him from all of that, don't you think I would? Or my mother. Now, now home with the Lord. But when I was ten years old, and my brother was fourteen. We were all abandoned by my father. I came home one day from school, and I saw this note attached to the kitchen door. It said, to the family. It didn't say to my wife, because if it had, I would not have bothered it. Or to her, with her first name attached, I would not have read that. But it didn't. It said to the family. Well, I was in the family. So I read the note. This is what this is what my father said. To a ten year old, a fourteen year old, and his wife. Goodbye. Good luck. Can't stay. Can't cope. Took half the furniture. Took most of the money out of the bank account. And left my mother with his debts. And two children. She finally came home later that evening. I gave her the note. She read it. And she did something that I had never seen that strong woman ever do before. I'm sure she did it somewhere, but never in my presence. She broke down in tears and laid her head on my shoulder, wailing about her circumstance. If I could have kept her from that, from that note, from that moment, from that experience, don't you think I would? Keep her. God God does not ask you to keep anybody. God asks you to love one another. To forgive one another. To support and encourage one another. To extend a helping hand to one another. If your brother or your sister is hungry, to do your best to feed them. If they are naked, to clothe them. If they are homeless, to provide some shelter for them. But you cannot keep them from the prevailing circumstance. There are just some things we cannot do. Some things we will not do. Some things God never asked us to do. Keeping is God's concern. That was the story of the Good Samaritan. There are two folks in that story who should have been the keeper. Man falls among thieves, is left for dead. Along come a priest and a Levite who know the law perfectly well, but they walk by on the other side, and the one who ends up showing love and care is someone with no obligation to that man whatsoever. But there he was, lying near dead on the road, unkept from that circumstance. So if God does not want us to keep each other, now this is not a call to irresponsibility. We are called to love one another, care for one another, forgive one another, support one another, encourage one another. But not keep, because keeping is not our job. It's not our ability. We are not very good at shamaring. But there is someone who is an expert at the task. Hence, the book of Jude. No chapter, just one chapter. Verses 24 and 25. Which says, now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to prevent us, present us faultless before God's throne with exceeding great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep. Or number six, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. We may not be good at keeping, but there's someone who is. Or Psalm 121. He that watches over Israel. He that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Or Isaiah. Isaiah. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. So I've come today to do two things. One is to relieve you of a certain responsibility, but remind you as well. Just because we cannot keep each other does not mean we don't have to do anything and whatever it is we are willing to do for some, by God's grace, we ought to try to do for all. Love all our brothers, love all our sisters, forgive all of those who trespass against us. Am I my brother's keeper? No. But there is one who can be. Now, I, I offer this caution. Let someone say, well, then why doesn't God keep us from everything? Why doesn't God keep us from earthquakes? Plane crashes. Famine. Why doesn't God keep us from each other? From all the hurt and harm that we do to each other. If God is the keeper, why doesn't God keep us from everything? I live in Rochester. It's been a tough week for us in Rochester. One day, a police officer is shot and killed by a man who was just released from prison one month earlier. The next day, a husband and a wife, very central to the civic life of Rochester. In that plane you heard about on CNN that crashed north of Jamaica, they haven't found the remains yet. Why didn't God keep them from that? God is a keeper. The day I can tell you why God does what God does or does not do what God does not do, on that day, God and I will have exchanged places. And you won't have need of God. Just call me because I'll know all things. I don't know. All I know is that there are those times in life when God does step in, does intercede, does show up. It happens to you. It happens to me. Does show up in the Red Sea and makes a way does show up in the lion's den and makes a way, does show up in a fiery furnace and makes a way, does show up at a graveyard where Christ is buried and makes a way. I don't know why he picks and chooses. I just know that God is a keeper. I end with this little recollection. One Friday afternoon, oh, maybe 15 years ago, I was driving from Cleveland to Detroit to teach a class for a seminary. Five o'clock, Interstate Highway 75 North, with 18-wheel trucks carrying commerce all around the country, on every side in front of me, behind me, just just a highway full of trucks. I either fell asleep or just lost focus, but my car there to the left and ran into a cement road divider, bounced off of that and then skidded across three lanes of traffic, ran into a steel highway divider, which if I had not run right into that, I'd have gone down a 10 or 12 foot embankment. Car would have turned over, I would have been dead. But here I stand. The only thing that happened, no truck hit me, I hit nobody else. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was harmed. Nobody was injured. When I hit into that steel embankment, the airbag came out. It broke my glasses. That was the full extent of my energy. (laughs) Broke my glasses. A tow truck came and took my totaled car away. I got a rental car. Went on to Detroit. Taught my class in prescription sunglasses and went back home the next day. What happened? Amidst all those trucks, at five o'clock on a Friday, I believe God was able to keep us showed up and kept me and everybody else around me and will do the same for you and probably has many times already. Am I my brother's keeper? Not really. I am my brother's brother. That's the best I can do. But thank God there is a keeper. Mine and yours. Praise be to God.
0: please stand and join us as we sing together grace that no man could ever repay, patience that outlives, the doubts in our heads, faithful Jesus, an offering of praise we bring to you. Surround See you.
3: Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling, and to present us faultless before God's throne with exceeding great joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now and forever. Amen.